0: I for the whole room. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Anorexic Bulimic Ask It Basket Workshop. My name is Leslie. I'm in recovery for anorexia and your moderator for this meeting. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, no photography or visual recording are allowed. <clears throat> the opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An ask-it basket, ask basket is being circulated for the question and answer portion of this meeting. This meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of this workshop or any other meeting. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. Workshops. The format for this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes of questions and answers. The topic for this meeting is anorexia and bulimia. Our first speaker is Jennifer, and our second speaker is Allison. Jennifer. <laughs>
1: Good morning. Um, my name is Jennifer. I am an anorexic, bulimic, and compulsive overeater. Hi, Hi. Um, I was asked yesterday at like 3.30 to come speak, um, so I'm a little ill-prepared. Um, I was thinking, you know, what am I going to share? Well, I really don't have to write out what I've lived. Uh, I, for some reason, apparently, I thought I had to have every detail written down for you. Um, So instead, I skipped that part and just wrote out what my experience, strength, and hope should be. Uh, So we'll see what God has to say. (laughs) Um, So to qualify, my lowest weight is about 60 pounds. My highest weight is almost 200. Uh, I currently weigh 145. I am overweight uh, for my height. Um, I have gained weight while being in program outside of gaining from anorexia. Um, I've been in, let's see uh, I came in when I was 20 Um, I have abstained from binging, purging and anorexia for 13 going on 14 years so it is possible Um, I have had some medical complications um, that have had me gain weight from steroids, being on steroids Um, I was actually diagnosed with lupus about 3 years ago Um, I was a triathlete, marathon runner Um, did avid exercise, and then couldn't anymore. I physically could not. Um, During that time, I actually had to be on steroids and have gained about 20 pounds, 20, 25 pounds, and I can't get it off, and I'm not really trying. Um, And I'll talk more about that acceptance of who I am and and my body. Um, To be honest, I'm grateful that I can walk today, um, that I can suit up, show up, drive an hour and a half, you know, be able to work full-time. I mean, these are miracles. Um, there was a time that in my disease, I literally could not walk upstairs. So I'm not going to get into um, the whole history of my anorexia and bulimia, but um, I've had an eating disorder since I was a kid. So I've done everything from drugs, alcohol, food, binging, purging, um, sex-related stuff. You name it, I've done it to be able to avoid life. Um, didn't have any other way of coping, um, so that's what I did. Uh, that was all I knew. Um, so some highlights of my disease, um, let's see. I was avoiding getting out or being uh, admitted to the hospital, um, so I actually had uh, drank some Insure's, which is a nutritional supplement, And because I had deprived my body of nutrients for so long, I literally went into basically almost cardiac arrest. Um, My body shut down, literally lost all of my bodily functions, and this is at 19, 20 years old. Um, Literally, I could not walk upstairs when I was hospitalized. Uh, I had to learn how to walk again. As soon as I was bedridden, um, basically I, I lost all my muscles. I mean, I had nothing. Literally had nothing. Uh, to be able to weigh me, they actually had to do it like on um, somebody that would be obese would have um, like a sling that you sit in. I couldn't keep myself up. Physically, I did not have muscle mass to be able to stand up to be able to weigh myself. So they had to put me in this sling to be able to weigh me, like a baby or somebody that would be obese. And again, this is at 20 years old. This is pretty sad. My whole life was food. Um, I, from counting calories to what I'm going to eat to what I'm not going to eat to what you think of me. From grocery store to grocery store, I knew that they were going to know who I was, so I'd go across town. I remember um, my drug of choice during the time to keep me from eating was Diet Pepsi. So I would go to every place for Diet Pepsi, which I currently do not drink soda. I haven't for many, many years. I remember going and pushing the cart, so, you know, you put it in like a little corral to be able to put the carts away, and I pushed it, but it almost hit another car, and the natural reaction for anybody is to try and keep it from hitting the car. You don't want to hit somebody's car, right? I physically fell on my face because I didn't have the capacity, the stamina, the ability be able to do something as minimal as keeping a shopping cart from hitting a car. I mean, that is crazy. That's insanity. That's true insanity. Um, and ha- it was awful. I couldn't get myself up. And here I am. I'm a kid. I'm a kid. Woman, you know, on, in the middle of the parking lot, on the floor, with skinned knees and everything and not strong enough to get her butt up pretty sad. Um, I was lucky to have such a serious disease. Um, I don't think I would have the uh, I know I would not have the life I have today um, if I didn't have such a severe disease. The severity of my disease made it real. Made it really hit home that I had no other choice. When I was in the hospital, um, I had I was there about three weeks um, until I was technically medically stable to be able to go out into the real world. So they gain ten pounds and have somewhat decent vitals as they send you on your way. Um, So I went into in treatment to be able to get help, and um, it was actually twelve step based, OA based members from OA actually um, were part of the workers that worked there. Um, and I am very blessed and so grateful for their service. Uh, that place does not exist anymore, um, but it was there when I needed it and so grateful. So, um, so that's kind of my history a little bit. Um, so you can die from this disease, it does get serious. Um, it was to the point where I could not control myself anymore. My disease had taken over. I remember also like being in a restaurant uh, with my parents, they're trying to get me into uh, the hospital to get to gain some weight. And I remember making a scene because they they didn't give me the right food that I wanted, and I'm crying and screaming, irate in the middle of some restaurant. I mean that was pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Um, So, some of the things I had written down were um, once an addict, always an addict. Um, My disease is, has nothing to do with food, yet everything to do with food. Um, It's between my ears that is the problem. The way I think about myself, the way I think about you. um, I have a false interpretation of who I am and who you are. I have such high expectations and such high ideals. Um, That's what makes me sick. Um, That thought process is what leads me to want to eat or drink or smoke or run away or go buy something. You know, I, I just don't want to deal with it. I want to run away. I want to act like a kid and pretend it doesn't exist. And the way I do that is by using food. Um, I also wrote down um, anything I turn to in the time of need is my higher power. And that's been really crucial for me. Um, Anytime I'm craving something, whether it's to work more, to have more money, to have that cake, whatever, I, I'm letting it rule my life. I'm letting it become my God. Um, just reading my notes here. Oh, I wrote down. Uh, somebody had shared long ago um, a dog analogy. I I have dogs. I love dogs. Um, But there's two dogs. They look exactly the same. Which one gets bigger? The one you feed, right? So we either have our disease or our recovery. Whichever one you feed is going to get bigger. So I can either feed my disease or I can feed my recovery. And I have gone back to that analogy. I want to say daily, but it's probably not true, weekly. You know, whatever I put into this program, I get out of it. You know, this is this program is not for those who need it. There's a heck of a lot of people that need it. It's for those who want it. And you physically, I physically need to suit up and show up and do the work to be able to reap the rewards. Um, that being said, uh, I live in a rural area um, I remember having to drive 40 minutes one way every day for a meeting. At that time, we didn't have telephone meetings. We didn't have online meetings. It was not, nothing that cool. <laughs> Literally, you know, you were in some, uh, I remember, a basement of a gym. It was actually, you had to go through the kitchen. I mean, it was pretty bad, you know. No air conditioning, dim lights. You had to Pack your own chairs. I mean, it was pretty. It was no fun, really. Um, But people showed up each and every day, no matter what, you know. And we were able to have a meeting, and people were there for me. And that's what I needed. And so because I was willing, I don't even think willing. I just knew that if I didn't do it, I would die. That's all I knew. And, again, it goes back to that. I'm, I'm grateful that I had such a severe disease. It sucks that I had to go down that far But the reality is, is if I didn't, I'm that kind of person that, oh, it's not serious. Oh, it's for them, not me. It'll never happen to me. I'm too young. I'm too, you know, I always have an excuse. And the reality is, is yeah, it has happened to me. That's who I am. Um, But I'm better for it. Um, Yeah, so some of the other things I wrote. Um, turning to the program instead of our disease early on in program that's what I was told to do I want to eat you read you want to eat you call you know you want to eat you write it's like it becomes habitual now I love to write I hated writing when I first came in here I was like this is so stupid you know I fought it I didn't want to do it who wants to read the big book every day you know I have better stuff to do I'd rather go watch TV you know so yeah, um, I had to learn new skills, new ways of coping, and it all started with just the basics. Um, and today it's now habitual. Now, I, I, anybody that says that the obsession has fully left them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year is a liar. I've been in here long enough. I've had ups and downs and good days and bad days. And, yeah, it's come back. You know, there's that gut feeling for anybody that is a bulimic that I just want to go and throw up. That's it. I just want to go throw up. Can't tell you exactly why. I just know I'm pissed and I don't want to deal with it. And I could go do that and then feel better. But today I have new tools that I can say, yeah, that's my disease. And I don't have to act on it. That is the hugest gift is to be able to have the ability of choice. You know, there was a time that I didn't have choice. When I was in my disease active, I did not have a choice. What I was doing was not by choice. I did not want to do the things or act the way I was or say the words I said because I wanted to or I was trying to hurt you or... It was like Jekyll and Hyde, so so yeah, today I have different different coping. Um, you know, I was thinking to some of the things I wanted to share, and um in thirteen years, I've never skipped a meal. Thirteen years, I've never skipped a meal. It's that important to me, and I've had surgeries, I've had moves, I've had. I run my own business. I mean, I've had excuses to not skip, you know, to skip a meal, to be able to not have a food plan, you know. And in 13 years, I have not. That's how important this program is to me. And I would rather stand here and say I'm 20 pounds a little overweight, but capable of being able to suit up and show up and be the real me is huge. It's huge. It's huge. That's the biggest gift that this program has given me. It's given me the acceptance of being imperfect, um, to be okay with being human. I mean, I still, sometimes I feel, you know, it's almost like I wish I were a computer. Whatever you input, you output, right? It's always perfect. It's always perfect, you know. And that's an unrealistic expectation. Of myself, and that's what gets me into trouble. None of us are going to be like that. Um, oh, okay. Um, I wrote out um, the steps are a map to good mental health, um, and I related it to cleaning a house. <laughs> You first learn how to clean a house, and the first time you go through, the house really isn't clean because you just learned how to do it. It's the same thing with doing the steps. The first time around, it's just the process of learning how to do it. And each time you do it, you get better at it. And that's the layer of the onion, at least for me. The first time around was as clear as I possibly could be, and it wasn't very clear. But the whole gift of the process was that now I know what to do when a situation comes up. And I literally have to do it every day. I literally have to work the steps each and every day to be able to get through whatever God throws at me. You know, life's gonna happen. It's, it's, and that's the only thing that's ever worked for me is to get out of myself. I mean, it literally takes me to work the steps to be able to see what my part is. Otherwise, I stay in, see, it's all their fault. And then I don't stay, I don't get into action. I physically have to write it down. Um, so, it, it's, it's about the process. So, get through your steps just to learn how to do it. Not, not to make it perfect, not to get it done, not to have the perfect four steps. Just know how to do steps one through 12, and it'll save your butt time and time and time again. Because then you have all you have the map of how to get better. But if you stay in the third or fourth step, um, then you don't reap the rewards of five through twelve. Um, and then talking about imperfection and how it's uh, peeling of the onion and and learning more. Um, I'm just getting to that next part of uh, the fourth and fifth step, so going beyond the selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and afraid. So, that's where I would end, you know, how am I doing those four things, right? Well, there's more to it if you read the sixth step in the AA 12 and 12, and it talks more about sloth and gluttony and lust, all these things that I really avoided, you know, um, but I'm better for it. I'm learning, you know. But that's that's why I have to keep coming back because it's um, every year that I'm in programs, the longer I'm in, the different people I meet, the new step work I do, it changes. Just I I finally hear it. You know, how many times have I read that step? Over and over and over and over. And then I'm finally getting it, you know, because I have a new sponsor. It's like, oh, okay. But that's how it works. One person can't can't give me everything. It's that collaboration of different sponsors, different meetings, different everything. Okay. So, some of the things I just wanted to focus on were that it is a process, which I think I talked about, um, that there's no right way. There's no right way to work this program. I have seen people work the steps a hundred different ways. Just do it.
2: I have five minutes left.
1: Okay. Um, Thank you. Um, But there is no right way. Don't let anybody tell you that you can only do it this way. Whatever works for you. If you're getting something from it, it's the right way. You know, look inside. That was one of the other things, too, is higher power lives within me. Um, You know, it first starts with, with, acknowledging something that's, that's greater than ourselves, which would be away or these group of people that seem happier, healthier than us. And then it kind of evolves into, oh, maybe I can start trusting myself and then realizing that there is a higher power. For me, I found that that higher power lives within me, is with me anywhere I go, whatever I do. And there's no reason to to fear. I was always in fear before. Always sincere, and and I would lie. I'd be lying if I said I'm all, I'm out of fear all the time. But you know, it's much better than the day that I walked in. Um, patience. You don't get better overnight. Took however many years to in your disease to get where you are. You come in at 40. Okay, well, don't expect four years. Not going to work that fast. You know, so get real about. You know, this is a lifelong process. And um, it's not quick by any means. If you're looking for a quick fix, this is not the place to be because it is slow. Um, but to keep coming back, that you do make a difference, uh, even if you don't share, even if you aren't working your steps, even if you're not a sponsor, even if you're not doing service, by shooting up and showing up and being at a meeting, you have made a difference. And I think I have seen over the years that people don't think that they are contributing so they leave. Um, Them not contributing is contributing because I can see what I'm doing or what I can do and I have the opportunity to help. So um, just know keep coming back it's it's helpful. Um, The disease does lessen over time. I mean, honestly, the obsession most of the time is gone, but it does come back. And that's why I have to keep coming back. Because if I'm not reminded on a daily basis what I need to do to recover, um, I'm going to go right back to where I came from. And I and I don't want it. It's not worth it to me. Um, thoughts and feelings are not always facts. And I would say for me... 90% of my thoughts and feelings are not real you know I, I, uh, I live outside of reality a lot of the time it takes me to get into reality a lot of work a lot of work um, so everything that comes in here is not always true we talked about daily work um, tools are there for a reason When I work the tools, the program works me. When I don't use the tools, my disease works me. It's pretty clear. I know if the food's calling, I'm not doing something. Um, And for me, it's uh, service I always do, writing I always do, and meetings I always do. It's everything else that I let slide. Okay, 60 seconds. I think I've probably covered everything that I need to cover. Um, I'm just grateful that you all showed up at 9 o'clock in the morning and gave me an opportunity to do service. So thank you. My name is
2: Allison. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi. And I'm hungry right now, but it's not meal mealtime. Um, me so, a little more comfortable kind of being in front of people. Actually, as a result of working this program, I can now do stand-up comedy, which I think is pretty amazing because, you know, I was always afraid of people, what they would think of me. What if you don't laugh? What if there's silence? What if all the noise in my head is really just crazy? And you then know that I'm crazy. Um, so, if you wouldn't mind, if you can join me in this journey prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the
1: difference.
2: Um, I'm a little afraid right now. This is the first time I've ever been taped and going to be online. And I wonder, like, what does that mean? If I look back in years, am I going to judge myself? If other people see this, like, there's all of this noise. And I, when I was sitting there and listening to your amazing share and I just kept crying because I just, I um, feel so grateful, I realized that this can just be a snapshot. It's just a moment in time. This doesn't have to be my end-all be-all. This is just today. This is just the next 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes depending on how much I talk and I probably will pull the whole thing up. But it's just these 25 minutes. I might leave here until something totally different. Something else might happen. My whole life might completely change. So whatever I say... It's at this moment. It's, it's take what you want and leave the rest. And just for anyone new, um, I do not represent program. I'm just a person working it to the best of my ability. If you don't like what you hear, there's many other meetings. There's other many other amazing things. Um, so I came in this program almost three years ago. I did a geographic from North Carolina to San Francisco. And didn't have a job. Didn't have money for therapy. I forget I try program. You know, it seemed free. Um, <laughs> Let's be honest here. Um, and I started coming and went to my first meeting and it was nice and then it was okay. I cried. People listened. They kind of talked about life. And I kept going to more meetings and thought, I can do this. I can do this. And, you know, got a sponsor eventually after a few months. And then I kept getting 30 day chips. I kept getting like 30 days of not throwing up. Another 30 days of not throwing up. I hadn't given up sugar. I hadn't given up white flour. You know, hadn't really kind of um, done more of the steps. I tried to kind of work my program. And just a I forget what it's called but what it used to be like um I came in I was one I think I was 189 you know I would like to say I wasn't 190 but my highest weight was 210 um, and I'm currently at 160.5 I weighed myself this morning and that was post poop but I did have breakfast so and I did have clothes on so I think I could get another you know pound or two if I really wanted to work it I forgot that it was weigh day today and I might I know I'm getting my period in a few days. So you know what? I'm imperfectly perfect. So maintaining about a 40-pound weight loss from when I came in program, 60 pounds from my highest. Uh, My highest was when I was in college, actively using the food court, actively throwing up a couple times a day. You know, it wouldn't be every day, but it would be every few days. And if I did it, I was going to do it. You know, I don't know about anyone else who's a bulimic, but if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to eat as much as possible. And usually there's some line where it's like I eat a little bit and then if I eat a little bit more, there's an invisible effort line where I'm just like, I had that cookie, I might as well have 15 more. And if I'm going to have those 15, I might as well throw it up. And if I throw it up, that means I get the second round, you know, and then I'm like, what am I going to have then? And at least for me, I'm, I'm a fairly intelligent person. I strategize my disease. And I try to make, well, what should I eat? Nothing too crunchy, nothing too hard, because it's going to hurt coming up. Like, no potato chips for me. And I have to drink enough water, that way it doesn't hurt as much. Like, I get James Bond about it. I'm like, how can I work this? What's the right food? What can I buy that's cheap, that I can then eat the most, and then get rid of it? You know, and then, I don't know anyone else who understands, but I eat it, and that first time, it's, like, kind of good, and then I get rid of it, and then that second round, and then, I don't know, there's this panic when you're at the toilet, and the second round won't come up. You know, some of it will, some of it won't. It's just like chocolate saliva. And there's this panic of, oh, God, I'm going to keep eating this. I'm going to get fat. My life is never going to change. This is why I don't have a boyfriend. This is why I don't have my dream job. This is why I'm not the person I need to be. This is why I'm not skinny. And if I was skinny, if I was this size, you know, six, if I weighed 120 pounds, if everyone loved me, then I would be okay. Then the emptiness inside wouldn't be there. And, you know, <laughs> that never worked. You know, I did an outside, um, outpatient program and it was great. It was me and a bunch of, um, anorexics. And I was like, sure, give me your food. You know, like they were, they were 13 years old and they didn't want to eat and I felt like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm happy with food. I just want to go to the bathroom afterwards. And I played by the rules and I did it and the month I was in the program, you know, I did the emotional honesty stuff and I kept my food out and the day I left, I think a couple days later, I threw up again. You know, I can, I can manage to some degree. But my, the reason that brought me in the program is I read something that said, if you are bulimic at age 25, the likelihood of you having it the rest of your life is pretty high. And I just kept thinking, like, I don't want to be 45, 50 years old and still throwing up. Like, I don't know if I'll still have teeth. And at least for me, it was a little different than anorexia because it wasn't as obvious on the outside that I was then. I wasn't getting the rewards. I was kind of having maintenance. And I wasn't really worried about heart issues or dying. I'm like, that's not, you know, maybe my gums go. Maybe I smell like vomit all the time. i will be okay. You know, like, I'll figure it out. But the question is, what kind of life am I going to have? Am I really going to enjoy where I'm at? Or am I always waiting for the waiter to come out with my plate of food and not listening to anyone else talk? You know, and then thinking, can I order dessert? And then afterwards, how much can I eat? You know, and I don't know about anyone else here, but I always look at other people's plates. I, um... Kind of early in program, I went to a sporting event, um, we we're watching a sports game and everyone had eaten, like they had their burgers and fries, and people half ate, half ate their plates. And I already had my meal, but I was eyeing everyone else's plate thinking, oh, they're half eaten burger, they're half fries. Can I get a skill box, a styrofoam box, and fill up all their food and go to the bathroom? Is there some way I can get their food? Because for me, it's like the money, how much I spend on it, and then how much food can I possibly eat? How can I, like, fill this hole inside? Because I kept thinking that there's something wrong with me. Why am I not okay inside? There's something, you know, and, and I grew up with, my father was a compulsive overeater. He um, passed away five years ago, and I came in this program three years ago, so I didn't so much survive his, um, he had a year in the ICU, his, his, you know, his health issues and then his death without eating you know, and he was 350 pounds, and he had high blood pressure, he had diabetes, he had all of these things, and he took me to my first meeting when I was 16, and I don't know the exact timeline of when he was in program, at what time, I I found a notebook, one of his workbooks, and I felt blessed to be able to find it, but not read it, and to respect his anonymity with what he answered with those questions, but I I think he worked step one and then part of step two, Um, and my mom mailed me some of his books, I had his AA 12 and 12, and I still have it, and... I had to contemplate getting my own, because when I would read his, I would see notes in the thing, and I would think, this is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for my dad. And that isn't the reason to work a program. It's, it's great in theory that I want to get healthy, but it's got to be for me. You know, this can't be for someone else. And, you know, I, I grew up with my dad being heavy, and <laughs> we, would, we would share. We would be binge buddies. You know, and that's how I got close to him. That's how I had emotional intimacy. with was moments where we went out to dinner, and we both ate a lot, or he would go, we'd buy a pizza, and we'd eat it together. And I remember feeling, or I feel now, such sadness when he would pick me up from school late, and there'd be empty wrappers. And I knew that he ate without me. You know, because I didn't get to have the food or that time with him. Because there's this way, when you eat, you know, you just check out, and why not do it with another person? And I just, I didn't know how to to be with him. And I'm not sure if he knew how to be with him, which is difficult. Um, so he brought me my first meeting when I was 16. and I remember sitting in the back. It was a really small meeting. And someone had shared, and I really wanted to get up and talk about how sad I felt inside. Because at 16, I, I was, I was believing, you know, I started this disease when I was 11, roughly. Um, my mom got breast cancer. My grandfather was told we had six months to live. And, I was normal-sized, you know, I was always intelligent, so not everyone always understood me and I was funny, but in an off-kilter sort of way and I was afraid of guys a little bit. So I am actually. Um, so I would eat, you know, and I ended up putting on about 40 pounds. I went from 120 to 160 and had my bot mitzvah and then kind of felt like I'm big and went to summer camp and lost weight. And I was friends with a girl who was kind of actively exercising and slowly kind of acquired I never really qualified as anorexic, but denying and restricting, and then over-exercising. And then I saw some TV special where someone threw up, and I was like, I'll give that a shot. And I saw my new best friend, which is purging, which is my secret eraser. You know, this is my, my exit strategy. You know, I'll eat, 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 I know, I because it comforts me, and then, oh, too much, let me get rid of it. And then I get this instant do-over, because I don't get the calories, right? No, I I was actively bulimic and kept gaining weight. Because I just kept eating more than I was getting rid of, and I think I was trying to hide, but I was really showing the world and patting myself. And for me, you know, part of this program I'm working in the steps is that I don't look back and, and regret so much. I'm just I have kindness for myself that that's where I was at. I didn't know how, how else to deal with life. No one else gave me the answer. No one else took my hand and said, "Alison, you're going to be okay," or "I understand," or "I'm sorry." Or gave me that hug that I needed. So I used food to the best of my ability and it was a coping mechanism and it worked to a degree. So I ate and then in high school it kind of leveled off a little bit and my parents knew that I was sort of throwing up because I would deny and then we would get Chinese food and eat the whole thing and inhale it and then go to the bathroom and turn on the sink you know, so strategic. And I get such pride, actually. It's it's kind of, it's in a sick way that I, after my years of in, in college being bulimic, I would try not to make a sound. And I got really good about not making sounds or just being able to hit my chest and being able to have the vomit come up, which is really like, if that's what you're proud of, you know, maybe something's a lost culture. Because that's that's how I thought, I can get away with it. Or, I'm okay, or you know, there's there's something wrong. I have the front, but my front was never really convincing, or I thought it was. And you know, now I can feel proud. <laughs> and I felt I, I was crying at the table listening to your share because I thought, how am I able to get up here and stand and talk? Because I'm still sick inside. I still feel like I'm not fixed. But part of this program is that we are never cured. There are other programs out there that say you can be faster. You can be done. And for me, I'm not. For today, I'm going to try to keep my food down. For today, I'm going to eat what I said I'm going to eat. And for today, that doesn't include anything with sugar in the first try of ingredients. No honey, no agave nectar. I tried fucking around, pardon my French, with agave nectar, thinking I could make muffins work for me. Yeah, that was really not. A, like, for me, I, I admit, I cannot handle muffins with agave nectar. And for today, I don't have to have it. Maybe not forever, but for today. So, you know, for today, I actually have my food, if you want to see. I always personally love seeing people's food. Here's lunch. Lunch is four cups of soup and three ounces of protein. And then I've got my snack, which is a cup of yogurt. I'm allowed to have a tablespoon of peanut butter, which is weighed and measure, and then one piece of fruit. And then dinner is, what's dinner? Usually two cups of vegetables and three ounces of protein. But I try to have everything made the day before. Because I, I don't like the drunk analogy, but like a drunk person behind the wheel. If I wait to decide my food right now, it's too late. You know, it's like at the, you know, when you're ordering food, you know, what do I order? I don't know. Because my brain is thinking, how can I get the most food? Like, how can I get that with that? Like, I used to have panic attacks at the face because I'm like, what do I get? I want to sample everything, and then I want to make the decision, like, what's really worth it? You know, and for today and for the last two years, um, last Wednesday, actually, I celebrated two years in my abstinence, which is weighted measured food and no sugar and no white flour um, and calling it in because, you know, it's none of my business. And if I tell my sponsor, if I email her the night before or this morning, leave her a message and say, here's what my food is, it's out of my hands. And this is where I feel that relief, that "Ah, it's not my, it's not mine to manage. It's not mine to figure out. So, you know, definitely take what you want and leave the rest. Not everyone does this in the beginning. I didn't want to. My initial abstinence was just not binging and purging. And in March, I celebrated two years of keeping my food down, which was just, it feels like a miracle because for like the last 10 years, I've been, you know, getting rid of my food and unhealthy means. And I just... You know i don't know what the future holds i don't know i can't guarantee anything and it's none of my business this i feel like when people clap and say oh congratulations it's not me it's my higher power but there's truth to it it's my higher power but it's me doing the footwork it's me being willing to tell someone here's what i ate and there was such shame after i've been calling someone and saying. I ate this, this, and this, and my sponsor would want to know. She's like, "Tell me, tell me exactly what you ate, because it's in that not telling that shame happens." And I'm like, ah, ah, you know, well, I had that or that or, you know, because after, I had to personally redefine my abstinence because, after not binging and purging, I was eating fruit and I got the whole bag and I was in the kitchen and I started eating one, 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 and then somehow I hit the countertop. I'm like, where did that whole bag go? Like, like, how did that happen? And I just knew that for me, maybe I'm keeping my food down, but I need more structure. I know that I love loopholes. Any possible way that I can get more food, any way that I can, like, make that work and maneuver, I will do it. You know, whenever there's, like, a gift with purchase at some place, I will buy the thing and then try to return it later so I can keep the gift. You know, like, I <laughs> I had a problem with um, this wonderful department store. They have an amazing return policy. I would buy things, keep it for a year, and then return it and get my money back. So in my eighth and ninth step, I would make an amend And I went into the customer service department and was like, here's $600 for shoes that I bought, worn, and returned. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. For my cleanliness and for me to keep my side of the street clean, I need you to take this. I need you to take it. And, and for today, part of my disease, maybe it's not specifically in food, but it's in my desire not to be honest. Whenever I call my sponsor, I don't want to tell her something. That's the moment I get to tell her. I get to feel this relief of, ah, thank you, of it's not for me to figure out. It's, I get to tell her, well, you know, I didn't want to do this thing. I don't want to go to this meeting, you know, on Thursday because they're having service elections. I don't want to go because they're going to want to give me one, and I don't want to say no. And she's like, so, so your reason for not going is you not wanting to say no because someone might ask you. And you don't feel comfortable saying, no, thank you. Or, I, no, I'm not able to do that. You know, it, it's, the disease manifests itself in such a way where the people pleasing comes out, or there's all these other things that I now get to see. When the food gets put down, I get to see, where am I? You know, what, what did I do? Where am I going? What's going on? And it's, it's a challenge, because I don't want to admit that I'm afraid of everything, that I'm selfish, I'm self-seeking, and I'm dishonest. I want to be perfect, you know, clean and pure. And people at work are funny because they see me measure my food. I break out my little food scale and they say, you're so good. You're so good. And I feel such shame because it's like, no, no, no. I am so bad that I have to do this. And I, I would I would really resent that they don't get it. And now for today, I'm like, thank you. Thank you for, you know, I can see what they're trying to say, which is they appreciate that I'm that good. But for me, this is what I have to do. And I can come to meetings like this and say, Uh, really like you don't know how challenging it is and people nod their heads i love the bobblehead because in the beginning like people get it like where else in in your life can you say i am just afraid of being out there of being exposed as last one said i speed dated i am afraid of people i am afraid of men and this is you know two years in recovery right now and i haven't been with someone and i'm really grateful for that because i am not ready Because maybe, you know, I got this disease when I was 11, 12. I'm 14 inside. A 14-year-old is not able to handle a relationship. A 14-year-old is not able to have sex with someone casually. I know that I've got a lot of stuff at peer that I want to work out. And there is time. I kept forgetting that there's time. And I'm like, because I want to be done by 27. I would already have my master's degree. I'd be married, have a kid soon, have this place, this outfit. God, it's like a Barbie mansion in my head. Like, this is where I need to be. And if I step back for, like, a second and say, where are you today? You've got recovery. Everything else will come. You know, this is something, I don't know when it happened, but realizing if I build this foundation of this is what my food is just for today, just for today, I'm not going to have birthday cake. The last three birthdays, I had a watermelon for one, struck three candles in it and smiled, and then the last year was grapes and strawberries, and then this year it was at someone's house for Passover, and they brought me grapes and strawberries, which was very sweet. But I already called in my fruit, and I already ate it. So I blew up the candle and let it sit there. You know, I didn't have my birthday fruit. And you know what? That's totally fine. It's fine. Maybe my husband can feed me a strawberry when I get married. Maybe it's not about the food. Maybe I can be at the wedding for the wedding. Because, God, I would cry about, like, oh, I'm not going to have wedding cake. I'm not going to have a sample. I'm like, is there any piece of wedding cake worth me giving up what I have right now? You know, and maybe I'm not serene all the time. Maybe I'm not relieved. You know, last night I was measuring my yogurt and my peanut butter, and I really wanted to lick the container. I wanted to lick my finger in the spoon, and I thought, tomorrow you can have it. I get to my own inner adult and say, it's okay. I hear you. Tomorrow you can have it. Tomorrow, not right now. Let's go to bed. Let's get some sleep. How can I take care of myself? Because it used to be like, no, I need to do that. Now, now, now. Like, it's just by working the steps, by showing up, I can't. I'm powerless over food, people, places, things beyond my control. You know? And that's okay. That means I don't have to fix it. I believe that there's some energy out there greater than me. And in the beginning it was really vague. I the I'm not sure if you guys know Fraggle Rock, there's this garbage pile that was Mother Earth. That was my higher power. Still is. It's great. You know, it's just this energy. And if you go to meetings, you can feel it. How great is it that we're in a room with people? You know, maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe there's only 15 of us. But it's people who understand. And there's love and there's acceptance. And no one after the meeting is going to judge me or criticize me or say that I'm not okay. You know? And can I try just for today to turn my life over and just do what my sponsor suggests or hear what people say in the meetings and show up and actually work my four step? Because in the beginning, I didn't want to. I kept saying I was working it and not doing it. You know, installing, installing, installing. And And my sponsor had to call me on it and say, don't lie to me. And it was a little harsh, but I totally needed to know that I was loved and cared for and that this is what I have to do. And then I spent, I think it was like five or six hours, and read it to her. You know, and I just felt this sort of relief, but not the miracle. And then six and seven, what are these defects? You know, I'm selfish, self-seeking, I'm procrastinating. I only want to look out for myself when I had to write, how does it help me? How does it hurt me? And then pray to be willing to be relieved of it. And then eight and nine, who have I hurt? And then being actually willing to make a phone call or in person, apologize and say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. You know, write it on a note card because I am verbose. I want to talk and I want to explain and say, well, you did this, but that's because I, you know, I apologize, but only because you did that. To say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. And they may or may not help me. And then ten, continue to take personal inventory. And that's just me writing things down. And step 11, I try to pray. I do. I try to read on awakening imperfectly, you know, and of service. Step 12, I'm on intergroup. I, I showed up for a meeting as a service person and then someone nominated me for assistant chair and I'm like, uh, oh, okay. And then someone nominated me for chair and I don't want to lead the meetings. I am imper- I don't know how to do this crap and I have it next Saturday. I'm afraid of it. I don't know how to do these, you know. I want someone else to take over and be the right person, you know. I want a cheat sheet. And because of this program and because of honesty, I'm able to be of service and be a sponsor. You know, the gifts of the program for me today are, I'm I'm practicing dating, I'm practicing. I can decide at the end of a date, do I want to see this person one more time? Not the rest of my life, not down the line, are we going to have grandkids, where are we going to live? Just one more date, just taking it one meal at a time, you know, I'm able to do stand-up. Because of standing up and speaking at meetings, I realize I'm funny and I want to be funny. So I can go and I can make jokes. And I was at the assembly and I did stand-up there for like 10 minutes about like, oh, I'm here with my people. Like I'm checking out Tupperware and recipes and, you know, learning about menopause. Like I can, you know, maybe not super funny at this moment, but I can be funny and make fun of stand-up. But I, you know, I went and there was no one else there because I knew I was coming. Or, you know, I went last week and and now I'm so used to five-minute speed dates, I get bored of people after five minutes. You know, I can see the funny in things and I can try to show up and not have it be... Me now or Gene Garofalo. Like, I don't have to quit my job and do stand-up full-time. I can just try it. Just try it. Um, I can be of service. I can be a sponsor. I can honestly have self-esteem and feel self-esteem by doing hard things and by being honest. I don't have to pretend to be anything I'm not here. And I can be a good friend. And I get self-esteem from doing esteemable acts. A um, couple of things that are really great is stay until the miracle happens. Don't take that first bite. You know, because you don't know what that bite will lead to an avalanche. The slip, the slide, the slob. You know, I don't know where it will change. And food has never filled that void. There's never been one food item that's ever filled me up inside. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm still, so, you know, I will not want to keep looking for it. And there's new food that's come out since I've become abstinent that I haven't tried. New ice cream flavors. And I can say, it's okay. Yeah, Someone else can have it. They can tell me it's great. And I can let it go. Because it's just... It's not mine anymore it's just not my food that record like from a hot flame came true. it's not mine and i don't want it people at work offer me cake i'm like no thank you in the beginning i resented it and now i'm like it's just not mine it's my baseline it's none of my business it's not my food you know and i appreciate people offering and i have a spiritual problem where i'm not connected with my higher power and that requires footwork and I had a problem with, um, <laughs> I, I kept being afraid of being constitutionally incapable of being honest, and I didn't think that abstinence was available to me. I thought it was for other people, and I was afraid of what my life would be if I actually put down the food or tried to survive a moment and not throw it off. Like, I, I knocked off my roommate's side mirror about two years ago, and I really wanted brownies, and I made eight phone calls. And, like, three of those people actually answered, and they kept reading me the acceptance of the answer passage. And I'm like, really, really? I don't want to hear this. And it didn't fix me. No one said the right thing. But through those phone calls, the, the, the desire that I have to at this exact moment lifted just ever so slightly. And I was able to write it out. Because there's always this wave. And the way my life used to be is the wave. And then if I, if I stopped it with the food, I would never be able to see that it actually lessens and it gets better. And even now, I can feel it. And in therapy, I deal with these challenging moments of thinking about my dad or my life. And I can feel it. And I start welling up and crying And that's why I go through the wave now. It's that moment where I'm crying and I'm feeling the emotion versus eating. Um, So I just want to leave you guys with the idea that I'm not a bad person trying to get good. I'm a sick person trying to get well. And every day when I feel like I don't have it, you know, there's, there's a balance of can I make a phone call to a newcomer? How can I get out of myself? And also how can I take care of myself and make sure that I am giving myself healthy boundaries and not giving myself away because that can be part of my disease also. But just turning it over and knowing that it's really a lot of my business and I don't see the big landscape. I like to think of my higher power has this giant map and is a really great secret, um, secret keeper. My higher power just gives me the internal compass and when I'm spiritually fit, I can know where n- north is. Maybe it's northeast a little bit, maybe it's northwest but I know what the right action is, and I can feel the, well, let's do that, and then say, that's one possibility. What's the next right action I can do? And if I need to check in with someone, if I need to pray about it, use any of the tools, and sometimes just plan, you know, and just say, higher power, help me just do the next right action, just the next little thing, because I've had some drama. I've moved four times in the last nine months with apartment issues. My mom can be a challenge, just all of these things, and... In those challenging moments, opening envelopes, I have to pray to my higher power to ask for help. I have to bookend it with a sponsor. I have to really, really admit that I can't do it. So I just want to thank all of us just for showing up today and being willing just to hear the message and want recovery a little bit more than the disease. So thank you.
0: It's time now for the questions from the Ask It Basket. So I'll just moderate them and y'all can – well, you need the microphone, so you've got to be up here with me. Okay. All right. Great questions, ladies, by the way. Um, sponsorship. Do you sponsor? And do you feel that ABCers don't have enough sponsorship opportunities available?
2: So um, in terms of sponsorship opportunities, like receiving a sponsor or sponsoring themselves? I'm assuming receiving sponsorship, right? Maybe. Um, so, yes, I do sponsor. I've um, And I do try to actually reach out and find people who are um Linux who have similar stories to my own because I think there's something to knowing that someone's been through something that you've been through and being able to kind of, I hate the calling it on the BS, but knowing where those little, like, where the dirt is kind of getting in there, I think is really helpful to have someone who understands. Um, so do I sponsor, and then do I think it's difficult for, um, I think, I haven't always seen that many people reach out and say that they are anorexic or bulimics and always available to sponsor. I think it can be hard, and it requires sometimes more footwork to make phone calls, and when you see someone who raises their hand and says they're bulimic, and they, or for or anorexic for me to ask them. You know, maybe they didn't raise their hand and say they are available to sponsor, but could you help me in the meantime or could I check in with you? I think that just because someone is in blanket sponsor, things can change and things can happen and it might require going to more meetings or phone calls or asking people, do you know someone who's got long-term recovery who has what you want and has that experience?
1: Uh, yes, I do sponsor, um, yes, I have found that it's hard to find sponsors for anorexic bulimics. Um The person that was actually supposed to speak called me to be able to speak and I saw her name come up on my cell phone and I haven't talked to her, haven't seen her in I don't know how long, but it's just that connection of people that have my same disease that, I am blessed that, you know, my phone number stays the same, my my email stays the same, that we can still have that connection. So, if you find somebody that has what you want, don't lose that connection. Um, It's important for me because I have to, I can only hear the message from another bulimic anorexic. I find that it's difficult for me to hear the message from somebody that hasn't suffered from that part of the disease.
0: To protect your recovery, what are some of the things you do to battle the body image issues inherent in our diseases?
2: Sure. Um, it can be a challenge because the number isn't always the number you want it to be or when you look in the mirror. There's, there's skin. I, I am not a firm person. I'm soft. Um, so sometimes what I actually try doing is when I get out to the bathtub, just looking at myself in the mirror and just kind of appreciating my curves and kind of just looking and saying, you know, I'm I'm beautiful. Maybe it's not, you know, the thinnest, maybe it's not perfect, but just kind of finding something beautiful and just staring at myself, and I am not my body. You know, it's just a vessel, but it can be a challenge when you try and close, and, you know, last night I was wearing elastic shorts, and it, like, dug in, and I'm like, ah, that's because I'm fat. And I think part of it is realizing that those voices aren't always true or real. It might be just one perspective. Um, Going to meetings also with a body body image focus can be really helpful to hear how other people are dealing with it or asking and, you know, like, so how do you deal with this or the changes or, you know, I think it's just kind of, for me, it's turning it over. And I often, I have a God box and I'll put my body in there and just say, like, whatever I look like, wherever I am, just help me just be who I am and you're in charge of how I look. You know, and usually when I open my mouth, people start talking to me
1: for me, not for how I look. So just trying to remember that I'm I'm a person inside. So uh, affirmations and a focus on my health.
0: Short and sweet. <laughs> Wasn't ready for that. Okay. Um, all right. This one's a little more practical. Um, I am trying to find a food plan. I'm not anorexic, and I don't throw up anymore. I am such a perfectionist. I can't find the right food plan. Help. There are two pamphlets: um, Dignity of Choice
2: and a Plan of Eating. Dignity of Choice actually has, um, I think it's like four or five different meal plan breakdowns. But you can kind of go and see, is there something there that can work? Because some of them are three meals with nothing in between. A couple of them are three meals and two snacks. Some of them are high carb, low carb. I think it's trying things. And I think it's important also to check in with someone and to say, this is what I'm trying for today. And then maybe at the end of the day or the next day, here's how it worked. Because sometimes for me, my my self-managing can say that was good or that wasn't good or I'm still hungry. You can kind of ask someone who's got time and say, hey, I'm trying this out what do you eat? It, sometimes you have to ask people, what are you having? Because sometimes it's too much, it's not enough. And, you know, it's just trying it and being willing to adapt. Because for me, my food plan hasn't always been the same. It changes and it, it grows and it adapts. But I check in with someone. It's important for me to have someone I tell because I might not call in as much or there might be some change and someone else can say, hmm, that's interesting, let's take a look at it. So I would say look at dignity of Choice
1: and see if anything there works for you and then ask for feedback from others. Um, pick something, anything, you can always change it tomorrow and uh, nutritionists always, at least for me, have been um, a godsend. They've given me ways to be able to have snacks when I did have snacks, um, to be able to put them in the blocks, you know, something so simple that I never thought of to be able to just, you know, run and go, Um, so nutritionists, I think, are, are integral to a food plan.
0: All right, ladies. How do you work your program today your food plan, meditation, things like that? Um, I do an hour of
1: prayer meditation and writing in the morning every day um, to be able to get centered. Um, I sponsor lots of people. Uh, I do at least one phone call a day. Um, I email one person daily. I email my food daily. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll go to as many meetings as possible. I don't go to as many as I used to, um, but two to three a week. Um, we're very lucky to have meetings in our area now, so I don't have to drive or commute, so it's wonderful. Um, but there's some form of program in my day every day. Um,
2: Pretty similar. So in the morning, waking up, usually while eating breakfast, I'll read the daily readers. I've got three of them uh phone call to a fellow on the, usually on the train or when I'm about to walk into work just to kind of relieve me of crazy, um, emailing my food beforehand, at the end of the day before I talk to my sponsor, usually writing a 10-step, calling her and telling it to her, spontaneous phone calls, usually three to five meetings a week, um, putting things in my God box, just basically using the tools um, as much as possible
0: and allowing it to be imperfect. Can you, either one of you, comment on how you deal with thoughts of getting rid of it after eating a meal? It can
2: be a challenge. Um, usually it's just doing something else, distractions. It's it's making phone calls and talking to someone and telling them, I want to get rid of it right now. Somehow for me, just naming it and saying, I don't want to eat it, you know, I want, to, I want to get rid of it, can be a challenge because it means you have to be vulnerable and open yourself up that then the person on the phone might say, what else is going on for you? Because usually if I'm hungry, there's something else going on. There's some other feeling I'm not having. So, you know, phone calls, and I don't think we have a phone signing sheet, and this might be a little more ellen honest, but she can give me a call. Um, if, you're <laughs> if you're having a challenging time, but just calling someone who understands or maybe writing about it or getting on your knees and praying or reading literature or watching TV or going around, you know, taking a walk around the block. And just knowing that maybe a little affirmations list of, like, it's not my fault, you know, and and this won't fix the problem.
1: Yeah, real similar. Um, Accepting it. It is what it is. That's who I am. Um, I don't have to act on it. And I think just that in itself, um, not trying to rid the feeling and just write it through, and you'll get through.
0: How did you deal with confronting the overeater aspect of your disease after or in addition to your disease of anorexia or bulimia? Does that that apply?
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking too. Um, It's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. I use the excuse of I'm an anorexic so I need to eat. You know, and I gained weight. I ballooned. I mean I was like, "Oh, I'm an anorexic, so I can have that It was like it was yeah, I blew up to like hundred and sixty pounds. I was huge um but that was just part of my story, part of my disease I'm you know it is what it is um, i I think it it is um difficult for an anorexic uh to maintain um for me, I don't I don't ban certain foods, you know, there's only two or three things that I don't eat. Everything else is fine um, because I am an anorexic. I am a bulimic and I need to participate with those foods because I'm in real life and I have to live reality and reality is is that those foods are out there and they're going to be served at a party. And if I'm deciding that I don't want to eat it because I'm going to get fat, that's the wrong reason and I have to eat it anyways. Um, so, yeah, it's been difficult, and, um, you know, I'm never going to be that size zero. I, I, I just can't afford it, and it's not worth it to me in my head. I'd rather be a slightly overweight or, you know, not perfect um, to be able to not have that sickness in my head. For me, as a bulimic,
2: when my first baseline absence was not throwing up, I wanted more food. And I kind of realized that, oh, I'm not throwing up. That means I'm okay. And I want more food. And, and there's the rationalization, well, let me eat more. That way I'm not starving myself. I kind of have to be I have to be honest. And I have to have a food plan. And I have to tell my sponsor, so maybe I'm shoving my vegetables in the cup so I can get more vegetables. And maybe I'm calling in an extra cup of vegetables. Maybe I want to have a whole avocado. You know, like they're, they're thinking that because I'm not throwing up, I get a reward. And I get more food. And it's, it's kind of this weird struggle where I should have enough food that I'm not starving, but I don't need to have a smorgasbord. Just because it's an abstinent smorgasbord doesn't mean I get – because sometimes if I don't have a – I skip a meal and then I get to combo meals or something, like that feels like so much more food. And I'm like, it's the same. So it's checking in with someone and realizing the disease is really cunning, baffling, and powerful and can manipulate itself in many, many ways. So just realizing what is my intention here? And then kind of checking in with someone and saying, is this fitting with my meal plan or am I trying to get away with something? Do I feel shameful about it?
0: <laughs> okay. Um, so we sort of touched on this earlier, but um think that it could be expanded on just as um, a means of support. Is your sponsor also an anorexic or bulimic? How important is it for you that your sponsors share your food experience or history? Um, my first sponsor
2: wasn't – I don't believe she was a bulimic. I had her for about a month or so. And then my most recent one, I believe she had a bulimic history but is not actively – she doesn't define herself as bulimic. But I think it's important for me to have someone who knows – what my brain is thinking and how I might try to get away with something. And then how do I share my food plan or... Um, is it important that <sighs> For me, it is. You know, I don't want to say that, but I, I think I really do want someone who has a similar history, who, who gets me, and I just... There's, such, there's so many ways where I can feel alienated or different or weird, but if my sponsor understands and can get it. And she does not eat most of the food that I eat. She's more, restri- not restrictive, but she's got more defined. Um, and I have a more defined program than some of my sponsors. So it's difficult if the person doesn't eat the same thing. But if the message is the right message, if I can kind of work through that. It just, it ha- requires me writing about my ego and why isn't it the exact same and da-da-da. Like, there's something else there sometimes. So um,
1: I have several sponsors. Um, and... Two are anorexics, and one is uh, just a compulsive overeater. And I find that there is a difference. Um, but majority of my sponsors have always been um, bulimic anorexics, and it's I feel that um, they understand my history a little better.
0: Can either of you share how you've addressed restricting in your food plan? Not an option
1: ever. Ever. I put mayonnaise, real real mayonnaise, butter, use oil, yeah, all that stuff, real stuff.
2: Um, My sponsor has to call me on things sometimes, and I have to realize I feel like if I'm getting away with something, I have to eventually kind of fess up and say, I didn't call it enough, or, you know, I'm having less because I want less calories because I want to lose weight. You know, just because I'm, I'm abstinent today and I have, I'm clean doesn't, just because I'm abstinent doesn't always mean I'm clean with my food. And it requires me having to be honest and say like, I want to have less. And, you know, there's, there's sadness there where the disease is taking a different form and I want less food even though my brain wants more food because I want to control or I want to be a good girl or get that like pat on the head because I'm not eating as much or get more physical recovery. And I just have to remember that why am I doing it? And is it my disease working itself out and asking for relief and working my program and realizing that my food and my body size are none of my business.
0: How do I connect with other anorexic OA's? There are no bulimic or anorexic meetings in my area. start
1: a meeting, um, there's other anorexic polemics in your area that are suffering and need your help. And then what's amazing is that you need them just as much
0: as they need you. Little sidebar on that, I've actually done that. So if anybody wants any suggestions on how to start an ABC meeting, I can talk to you about it. Um, last question, really fun, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not sure why. Can either of you speak on sloth and how you deal with that mucky mindset?
1: <laughs> These are some really good questions, y'all. You did a great
0: job. Very thoughtful.
1: God works in mysterious ways. Um, yeah, I've avoided looking at sloth. Everything comes down to that. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to. I'm a baby. I go kicking and screaming. Honestly, I would rather do anything else than take responsibility for myself and it that's my core issue so you're in the right place I don't have an answer except for continue working my steps and asking God to remove it and to take action anyways that's been one of the huge things that I've learned in this program I don't have to want to do it to do it I just do it anyways so Uh,
2: do something similar I say I don't want to I don't want it and I do it anyway it's kind of, like I tell my sponsor in that way, like someone knows I don't want to do it, but then take counteraction. Um, and it's just, it becomes a habit. You know, I think they say it takes 21 days to make something a habit. But, you know, in the morning making my bed or making my sheet, you know, sheets and cooking. And there's there's baseline things I know I have to do. I know I have to make my food. And if I'm getting low, it's time to go shopping. So I personally try to, when food gets too low or before it gets low, pack up and that way. I always have a couple days supply. Um, I try to pay my bills about a week before they're due, you know, my rent, everything else, because in case I miss something, because things will always pop up. What I do struggle with is um, sloth with the TV. I am struggling with watching too much TV and not getting to bed on time, and I'm playing with the idea of checking in with someone before bed or bookending my TV time or letting someone know my computer is being turned off now and I'm going to bed because I need someone else to know, and it doesn't have to be a shameful, I'm a little kid, it can be a, I'm taking care of myself, and there's a fear and a desire not to go to bed because I'm afraid of tomorrow coming. So kind of asking someone to join me or making it fun, whether if I have to cook and clean, put some music on, or, you know, invite others to join me in the things I don't want to do
0: and ask how they kind of struggle with it. How much time do we have? Like four minutes? All right. Are there any other burning desire questions that might not have made it into the Ask It Basket? Yes. So for the tape's sake, I'll just sum up the question: um, How can we be happy, joyous, and free with food? What does that freedom mean to you? Good. Yes. Yeah. All right.
2: So I'm I'm imperfectly working that. I um I usually try to eat before I actually get hungry because I'm afraid of feeling hunger. And I'm working and out with outside help, professional help to you know, what's behind that? What am I afraid of? And realizing that I will not expire if I don't eat my food right on time. Um, with making my food in advance and having it called in, I feel relief of what I'm going to eat. And I, that part of the oppression has been lifted. And outside food that isn't mine, I don't feel like I need to have it. Um, I think body image, like at least for me, honestly, I've been in program three years and two years abstinent. I'm still really new at this. And I think just getting my baseline abstinence allows me to work the steps and figure out all of those messages I've had for 20-something years. They're not going to go away overnight. and having, for me, at least a realistic expectation of the timeline of what it's going to take and maybe other means of spirituality and love and self-acceptance to get me to where I need to go. So, you know, I I do feel the nine-step promises of recoiling like from a hot flame. I don't really obsess about food, but it's never, at least for me, 100% always relieved. There's always going to be moments, but realizing that that's okay and that's where I need to be at this moment. I'll get where I need to go eventually.
1: I don't know how to answer so concise on this question. Um, Happy, uh, I eat the foods I want to eat. I mean, that's an integral part for me. Uh, I should enjoy my food um, joyous and free. uh The freedom is being able to have three moderate meals a day and to know that I will have breakfast tomorrow. I think that's a huge freedom that I know that um, my food plan will still be there tomorrow and the only way that I got there was by continually doing it each and every day and then it becomes a part of me. Um, My whole family knows I have an eating disorder. I mean, it's like nothing strange, nothing odd. Oh, isn't it time for you to eat? Yeah, it is, actually. You know, so um, that's the freeing part is that my parents, my family doesn't ask anymore, you know, do you want this? You know, they know I have my own food plan. So um, I think just by the keep coming back and the being habitual Um, that gives me the freedom, because then I have days, weeks, years behind me of saying, oh, yeah, this does work.
0: Thank you so much, ladies. It It is now time to close. Let's thank our speakers and all those who have done service at this meeting. Please stand and join hands as we close with the OA Promise, also known as the Unity Prayer.